taking the time. And I know God is certainly grateful as well. And although he certainly deserves our time, it's certainly nice when God's people take the time. And so we're glad you have today. And I'm glad I did. And so here we are today. We're going to take just a few moments and consider the Word of God. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read just the first few verses there. And the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone, to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Of course, in our particular passage, we're presented with the birth of Jesus Christ. And, of course, because there was no room in the inn, Joseph and Mary found themselves in a stable that evening. And upon giving birth, they then wrapped their child in swaddling clothes and they laid him in a manger. Now, nothing here seems to be so out of the ordinary for that day and age. Doesn't really seem to be anything that's that awfully unusual. I mean, the city itself would have been overly crowded due to the taxing that was required by Cyrenius. Uh, There would have been a major room shortage as a result of that. And as a result, many poor travelers would be happy, I mean happy, to simply have a roof over their heads. So, although on the surface we may think, my, what a tragic event, what, how horrible would it be to be traveling with your spouse, your wife, who's ready to have a child, and all of a sudden there's no room for you in the inn. Oh, we're going to have to stay in the stable, honey. Uh, why don't you just uh, gather up a blanket, lay it down there, and, and, and relax just a little bit, and all of a sudden the baby comes due. We're going to have a baby in a stable today, and we're going to go ahead and lay the baby in a manger when it's all said and done. I mean, that's a trough, of course. That's just something that common animals ate out of. And, yeah, we're still going to lay that baby in there. And we might think on the surface or at the very uh, onset that that was really unusual, that... That was below anybody and everybody. Although I do agree that it does seem to accentuate the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ, it does not in any way reflect on just Him and those involved in our story. The fact is is that many poor travelers could have ended up in the same position. Still, there were angels even though it doesn't seem to be any different than maybe anyone else's birth. It could, have been, it could have been any number of children born that day. But in this case, there are angels. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, the Bible says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. And suddenly, verse 13 and 14, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Not only were there angels, but there are shepherds. 
In Luke chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, the Bible tells us, And it came to pass, as the angels were going away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. So we have angels and shepherds, but to top it all off, there are wise men. And it came to pass, the Bible tells her, at least it goes on to say in Matthew 2, 1, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. And when they were come into the house, referring to the house where Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus resided, they saw the young child. This is not the manger now. This is not a stable. This is their home. This is some time later. But they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold. And you could repeat them. Frankincense and myrrh, couldn't you? So there's a baby born in a stable, placed in a manger. Here's my question. If it's so normal, if in that day any poor traveler would have been glad just to have a roof over their head, if if they were fortunate enough just to find a place like many others would have, and they've had a child just like anyone else could have a child, and they put that baby even maybe in a manger and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, which was not really all that unusual. Here's the question. Why all the fuss? I mean, what's the big deal? Why we make it such a big deal? I mean, why are we all gathered today here to celebrate this birth? I mean, there are hundreds of thousands and even millions of births. Why this one? While I was stationed in Germany, we would often stand a a number of inspections. These dignitaries and military officers would come by and uh, we would be put on high alert. As a matter of fact, we'd we'd really uh, uh, make painstaking efforts to, to make sure that all the accommodations, that everything was perfectly planned, that everything was in its place. And I remember one time a lieutenant general, that would be a three-star general, came to our barracks or came to our uh, caserne, they called it, and basically just our little base. And, uh, boy, I mean to tell you, every vehicle had to have been inspected beforehand. Every vehicle was washed. I mean, tires and underneath and everything you can imagine. Everything was inspected. I mean, even the barracks. I mean, the floors had to be spotless and they had to be shined and we'd buff them all out and they looked like glass. You couldn't even walk on them after that was done because you could not have a smudge or any footprint of any kind on the floor before you left your barracks. So you'd, you'd, you'd go ahead and buff it all out and then you'd hop... Uh, you wouldn't hop on beds, by the way, because they had to be tucked in and tight. And so you kind of tiptoed around the edge and you tried to keep from getting your feet on that nice, smooth, and shine buffed out surface. I remember that they'd come through beforehand and did a white glove inspection on our rooms because the lieutenant was coming. He was coming to our caserne. He was also going to walk through our barracks. He was going into our motor pool. And he was going to go down into the radio room even. And there we had to have everything I mean spotless, clean. I mean everything in its place. I was picked as a detail to join a, a, just a, two or three young fellows that would be placed down there in that particular radio area that uh, would be uh, on duty or in place when the lieutenant general came through. 
I mean, fanfare like you've never seen it. People everywhere running around, preparing, readying themselves. And here I was picked. I mean, shoes had to be spotless. I mean, the uniforms had to be pressed. Everything had to be perfect. And there I stood at attention there as he came on by. And he, I remember when they said, he's coming. We all snapped to attention and he walked through the room. I mean, everybody was quiet. Nobody said a word. He just kind of walked through, just kind of looking around very casually, just like you or I would walk around. For some reason, it seemed like maybe he put his pants on the same way I did. I could hardly believe that. I mean, he was a lieutenant general. I mean, he's one of the most uh, highest decorated officials in the, the military. And there he walked by and he, he asked me some questions and I got a chance to talk with him a few minutes. He asked me how I liked it there. Of course, he was there, and so was my captain and my immediate supervisors. So, of course, I was very kind about the situation. But I did. I had an opportunity to talk with this lieutenant general. I was thrilled to death. I was honored to have the opportunity to talk to a lieutenant general in the military. And the whole base was in an uproar. The whole base was just buzzing Awaiting his arrival. But again, I just don't quite understand it. Why all the fuss for a little baby? Haven't you had a baby? Maybe you haven't, but I guarantee you many have in the room. We weren't met with bands. Nobody shined their shoes and pressed their pants and nobody made sure that all the vehicles were perfectly inspected and everything was exactly the way it should be. I mean, I didn't have the city of Akron come out when I was born. When my kids were born, I didn't see uh, anybody show up in mass amounts and pour gold, frankincense, and myrrh at their feet. Why all the fuss? What's the big deal? Why in the world do we celebrate Christmas after 2,000 years? Can I give you just a couple of quick thoughts? A quick, quick thoughts. Getting tongue-tied thinking about that lieutenant general. First of all, that baby was conceived supernaturally. I mean, he was conceived supernaturally. He wasn't conceived like you or I today. I mean, he didn't just have a normal daddy and mama. He had a heavenly father, the Bible tells us. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Some have tried to malign and mock the birth of Jesus Christ. Some have tried to defamate the character of Mary and say that she was having an affair with some soldier, German soldier. You can read all kind of trash if you really want to, but the reality is, is that Jesus Christ was supernaturally conceived in the womb of a normal young woman. The Bible says in verse 20, But while he thought on these things, referring to Joseph, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. A supernatural conception. Not only that, but he was called the Savior. 
In Luke chapter 2, the Bible says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior. Now, I don't know about you, there's been a number of births. Someone's born as a king or someone's born to some unusual royal family and they say, oh, he's the hope of our nation. But this babe was called a Savior. The Savior. Not only that, not only was he conceived supernaturally, called the Savior, but he was considered very special. Considered special. If you could read, or and I'll read it for you in Isaiah 9 because of time. The Bible says in verse 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon this kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I mean, he was considered special hundreds of years before he was ever born. Hundreds of years before he was ever born. They were writing about this baby. They were writing about this particular child that would be born supernaturally. That would be called the Savior. That would be considered so special. Hundreds of years prior to his birth. Not only that, but he was confirmed superior. I mean, it was confirmed. I mean, in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 23, the Bible says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name. Hold on now. This is important. Newsflash. It's coming over the BBC radio network. Listen to me. His name shall be called Emmanuel. Hold on. That's not where it all stops. Oh, you say, well, I know somebody named Emmanuel. He works down at the Mexican restaurant. (laughs) Well, I know a bunch of them too, and they don't all work down there. Emmanuel. Hold on. God with us. God with us. Why all the fuss? Why make it such a big deal? Why record it in a book that would continue to exist thousands of years after the fact? Why record it in a book that is written in heaven? That for eternity will forever remind us of that birth of a child? Because he was conceived supernaturally. He was called the Savior. He was considered special and confirmed superior. He was God in flesh. That's why. He was not just a normal man. He wasn't like you or me. He was God. And today as we gather in this place, we gather to worship God. Not just the birth of a child. Not just the birth of some natural born citizen. But a God man. Jesus Christ. Perfect and holy and complete in in Himself. Oh, today, we gather in this place because of Jesus Christ, who is God in flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. 
So what does that mean to you and I then? If indeed that's the case. I told my wife just this morning, I mentioned to the children, uh, to the kids, and they're not really children anymore, but I mentioned to my kids, as we gathered around, we read the Christmas story, reflected on what Christ did for us, did a few little testimony, things like that. And as we sat there and as we talked about some of those things, as we read that story, I looked at my wife and I said to my kids, it seems to me this year, this year especially, more than any other year to me, it seems that Christ is not an issue. It seems like presence. I mean, how many manger scenes have you seen? I mean, it just seems that He's kind of been shoved to the back more than ever to me. I, I can't explain that. It just Maybe it's just me. Maybe I haven't been out. Maybe I haven't gotten around like you have. But for some reason in my mind, it almost is as if Christ has nothing to do with Christmas anymore. It just seems more like that to me than ever. I, I don't know. But if He is Emmanuel, God with us, and He is, what does that mean to you and I then? First of all, what the Bible says is true then. If He is Emmanuel, God with us, if He was more than just an ordinary child, if He had someone other than a natural father, but a supernatural father, then there's, there's good reason then to say that what the Bible says is true. See, the same God that created the universe is the same God who penned the commandments with His finger on Mount Sinai. And those commandments found their way into a book, and that book is the Word of God, and it contains the very mind of God. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says in Scripture, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He says it's inspired. Inspired. That word inspired in the passage means God-breathed. I mean, the very words we hold in our hand... The very words that are bound in this book are none other than God's words today. Every time you pick this book up, every time you open its pages, every time you turn them, you are literally holding, embracing the Word of God. Not only did God inspire these words or breathe them, as the Bible says, but He preserved them in perfection. Throughout the ages, in the book of Psalm, chapter 12, verse 6 and 7, the Bible says, The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Thou shalt preserve them. O Lord, Thou! Hey, listen, by the way, do you know that it's not my job to preserve the Word of God, only to stand upon it and for it? Men and women throughout the 
centuries, the millenniums even, have tried to destroy this book. They've tried to cause it to go extinct. They've burned these books. And yet here it is today. More copies than ever. More availability than ever. More opportunity than ever. God's Word, preserved in its integrity, in its perfection. God is the author of the Word of God, and He is the protector of it. You know, the Bible's not just one book, by the way. You say, yes, it is. It's in one... Hold on. It's actually a collection of 66 books that are bound into one. And these 66 books contain history and poetry, prophecy, wisdom literature, and various letters. Not only that, but these 66 books were written by 40 different authors. And when I say author, I'm not taking away from God the author, but God used human instruments to pen this word through the ages. Just as I hold this pen in my hand today, and I write my name or any other sentence, it is my name, my sentence written, but I used an instrument called a pen. God used men to pen His words. And He used 60, He used 40 different ones. That's a lot of different personalities, a lot of different insights and attitudes and perspectives and outlooks. Hold on. They came from a variety of backgrounds. Yes, indeed, they were shepherds and fishermen, doctors, kings, prophets, and others. And most of these authors never knew one another personally. These 66 books were written over a period of 1,500 years. That means it was impossible for these men to have collaborated, to have gotten together, to have discussed what they would put in that book. Fourth, the 66 books were were written in three different languages. I mean, in the Bible we have books that were written in the ancient language of Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And again, that just reflects on the historical and cultural circumstances of the men used to pen it. So I want you to think about this for a moment. Here we have, bound in these, this binding, 66 books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years in three different languages on three different continents. And what's more is that this collection of books that's been commonly bound together has a common storyline. It deals with the same issues called the creation, the fall, the redemption of man. It talks about different themes about Christ's coming and return. I mean, it is perfectly in alignment. Every one of these authors, every one of these books lines up. And by the way, even though they have all these commonalities, these 66 books contain no historical errors or contradictions. Oh, I know you have the critics. I know there are those that say it has its contradictions, but they don't know what they're talking about. They haven't thoroughly divided the Word of God Oh, they say, well, there's an error, a scribal error here, or there's a misspelling there. Find me an error, however, in its consistency. Please do so. In its true content, you'll find no error. You'll never do that. I challenge you, go to any library in the world. You can choose any library you like. 
find 66 books which match the very characteristics that these 66 books indeed bear. Now again, you have to choose 66 books that are written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years from three different languages on three different continents. And all the storyline has to align. It has to be a common theme, of course. Common message. No hysterical, no, no historical errors. No contradictions, mind you. You're welcome to try to do that and accomplish it. But you want to know something? You and I both know the reality of this. That's an impossibility. But may I say that this book right here is not a normal book. This is God's Word today. We celebrate the birth of Emmanuel, God with us. We hold His Word in our hands. Because Jesus is unique, because He's so special and different, Because he's not a mere man, but Emmanuel, God with us. What does that mean to you and I? Well, as we noted already, it means that what the Bible says is true. But number two, that we are here by design and not chance. See, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning, God... Oh, let me start that again. I don't want to mess this up. In the beginning, God... <clears throat> I, that, that can't be right. Because I went to public school. I went to private school. I studied the Internet. I've looked at all the scientific evidence. Hold on, let's read that again. In the beginning, God... That can't be right if what I have been taught and learned throughout my childhood on into adulthood is correct. But wait a second, I think we just confirmed that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ because He is unusual. He's very different than others. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And therefore we know that if God literally walked on this earth, that that which records that walk, that which shares with us that walk, is obviously His Word. Therefore, if this is indeed the Word of God, then it is authoritative. And what it says is true. Therefore, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Isn't that an amazing revelation? That everything you see, everything you experience in this life was created by God. The walls that we see here are byproducts of His creation. The seats in which we sit are a byproduct of His creation. Literally, He was and has always been in the beginning God. And then He created everything that we can grasp in this life. Everything you held this morning is a byproduct of His creation, His goodness. We are here by design and not chance. The Bible tells us, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things. And by Him all things consist. 
The Bible goes on to tell us, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. God did that. The very God that rested his lowly head in a manger 2,000 years ago is the very creator of the universe. And that babe that was wrapped in swaddling clothes lived his life and died for you and I. And he left behind a book called the Word of God. His words, not the imaginations of delusional men, but the very inspired Word of God. See, because God created, Darwinism or evolution is a myth. The billions that we spend on educating our young is wasted teaching a theory that has no scientific basis. It's a theory for a reason. It means they haven't proved it. But if Jesus is who we say He is, if Jesus is the one we gather to meet with and to honor and to glorify this morning, if He truly is Jesus, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, God in flesh, Emmanuel, then He has a purpose for you and I today. A plan for your life and mine. You weren't just a byproduct of some cosmic explosion. But God, in His infinite wisdom, pre-planned your arrival on earth. And I don't care what the circumstance or the situation in your birth was. It doesn't matter to me, no matter how grave the, 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 the hardship or heartache was, I, I promise you, God brought you here for a reason. He needs you and wants you to invest your life in His purpose and plan. He is God. And He created you for a reason and with a purpose. You are special and you are unique. And I don't care if someone told you you were not wanted. God wanted you. So your life has meaning today. So does mine. Just by proxy. Simply because God created me, I have meaning and purpose. And the meaning of my life is only truly realized when I enter into a personal relationship with Him, my Creator. It's only fully appreciated when I finally identify with God's purpose and plan for my life according to this book called The Word of God. He outlines your purpose he knows and indeed can share with you what is necessary in your life to enable you, encourage you, and empower you to live a life of blessing. See, because Jesus is unique, special, and different, He's not a mere man. He's Emmanuel, God with us. What does that mean? Well, we said what the Bible says is true then. And where we, we are here, I should say, by design and not chance. But finally, and last but not least... If indeed this is the Word of God, and if indeed God personally created us, and He has a purpose and plan, 
I want you to understand God never proposed, nor did He ever plan on mankind being separated from Him. Here's the third one. Men and women are sinners, true. But Christ alone offers escape. Again, if Jesus, and He is, Emmanuel. I mean, you're here gathered because we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. I mean, why would we be celebrating a birth of a child 2,000 years ago if He never really existed? Why would we be celebrating His birth and making it such a big deal and creating such a fuss if He was just a mere child, the byproduct of natural parents? But He isn't. Therefore, we know His Word is true. And what it says is true. And we realize that we are byproducts of the Creator Himself. And God has a purpose and plan. And one aspect of that plan means, and is outlined in this book, has to do with our sin and the fact that He alone is Savior. The Bible says in Romans 3, verse 10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all going out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. You say, that's ridiculous. That makes no sense. Talk to him about it, because remember the one that we're celebrating today? It's his word, not mine. Amen. See, this is what I want you to try to understand today. We make such a big deal of his birth. But what have we done with him in our own lives? I mean, every year, on the 25th of December, people celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ in America. But if He's really who He claims to be, if He's really Emmanuel, God with us, then He is God every day of the year. And He ought to be God in our life every day of the year. Not just on December the 25th. In this book, of course, if He is God, and He is Emmanuel, God with us, is true then, and what it says is true, and the Bible just says, there's none righteous, no, not one. He goes on to say in that same chapter, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us measure up to God's perfect holy standard. Every one of us fall miserably short in comparison to Jesus Christ, who is perfect, and always has been and always will be, the only time in history when He wasn't is when He bore your sin and mine on that cross. And God the Father in heaven turned His back on Jesus Christ all because of your sin and mine. But because He was perfect, He could pay for our sin. A just man being treated unjustly. God the Creator Himself being crucified by His creation. Thankfully, there's hope today for you and I because of that babe in a manger who grew to be a man who ultimately sacrificed his all on Calvary. In John 14, 6, Jesus Himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by 
me. May I encourage you by saying this? That is not a Baptist doctrine. That is a Bible truth. God's plan of salvation is not different based on denomination. It is always consistent with His Word. He doesn't change for any of us. The moment this church takes, changes its perspective, its outlook on salvation and how to arrive at forgiveness and a home in heaven, the moment we say that, well, Jesus is... A little bit, that's a little narrow-minded that only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The moment we do that, we can call ourselves anything we want. But the reality will be we just neglected His Word. We just basically said, we don't believe your Word. It's in this book. This is the basis of all authority. If we do not stand on it, then we do not stand on anything strong. It will ultimately falter and fail. Hey, Community Baptist Temple does not teach Baptist doctrine. We teach biblical truth. And listen, the moment that we stray from this book, the Word of God, is the moment we ought to close our doors, stop running our buses, close down the nurseries and send everybody home in the choir, We might as well just throw it all away. Because if we're not teaching men and women how to find God, Emmanuel, as He outlines it in His Word, then we are only leading others astray. The blind leading the blind. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. That's what he says. Jesus Christ came for a reason 2,000 years ago. He became man. Supernatural conception. Called the Savior. Confirmed superior. And considered special. All because we cannot escape our sin and its consequences without Him. That's as simple as it is. Take your Bible and look over at Isaiah as I close with this one verse. Isaiah, please, chapter 53, I believe. I want you to notice... These next eight words that we'll read together. Verse 10. Chapter 53, verse 10. Notice the Bible says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Yet it pleased the Lord 
to bruise him. If you go back just a few verses, we just read that he said, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Yet, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. How could God in heaven be pleased as he watches his son be murdered and crucified, maligned and mistreated, terrorized and tortured? How could he be pleased? For the same reason that you and I are pleased today by that same death. That it alone brings salvation. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's at the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. He is Alpha and Omega. He's beginning and end. He's the first and the last. He's the great I Am. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the fairest of ten thousand of my soul. He is altogether lovely. He is wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's the light of the world, the bread of life, the living water. He's Redeemer. He's Lord God. He's Savior of all mankind. It pleases me that Jesus died on that old rugged cross because today I have a home guaranteed in heaven because I've accepted His payment for sin as my payment. I received His blood to my account and it washed my sin away. I'm pleased, although my heart breaks, to even consider the agony that He endured. But I also rejoice knowing that He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. God was pleased to bruise Him. Permitted it, allowed it, and orchestrated it. Because there is no other way to have our sin forgiven and receive a home in heaven than by and through Jesus Christ. That is why we celebrate Christmas. That's why it's such a big deal and we make a, such a fuss is because early on in America, people knew that truth. And they rejoiced at the birth of a Savior. Emmanuel, God with us. Even Linus knows the truth. You need only watch it. Charlie Brown's Christmas. But I fear today that America is quickly forgetting that truth. And today I wonder in this crowd, I wonder today if there's even one that has yet to receive and accept Jesus Christ as their own Savior. Has allowed 
themselves to admit their guilt before a holy God and say, I'm the sinner you died for. If you didn't die for me, I would have to pay for my sin alone. But Lord, I'm asking you, who died for me on Calvary, who went from cradle to cross, forgive me, save me, wash me clean, make me whole, forgive my sin, and take me to heaven one day. Boy, we need Christ in our life. Have you invited Him in your heart, your life today? Genuinely, sincerely, honestly. Father, we come to You. We thank You, Lord, for the simplicity of Your Word. Lord, in these next just few minutes, we're not going to take a lot of time. Lord, You know that we're going to just ask and give opportunity to respond to these truths. With every head bowed, Lord, may You begin to work in lives if You haven't already been. Let me ask you quickly, do you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? You might even be our guest today. But let me say, you're amongst friends. There's nobody here that would be upset or that somehow would make fun or think anything amiss. We simply want to be a blessing and a help. This book, the Word of God, is all that matters. It's not about church and its particular statement right now. What we care about is the truth. This book, the Word of God. Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Has there been a day, a time, a place when you literally called on Him and invited Him into your life and asked Him to be your Savior, to forgive your sin and take you to heaven? Today, maybe you'd say, Preacher, I don't know that for sure. I've never settled that. I'm here today and I do feel among friends. People have treated me kindly and I'm glad I'm here, but there's a part of me that knows in my heart if I leave this room and for some reason I would pass off the scene of this life into the next, I can't say for sure I'd be in heaven. I've never invited Christ in my life as Savior to my knowledge. Would you pray for me, preacher? And with an uplifted hand, I'll pray for you. I just want an opportunity to say, Lord, help this person, encourage this person, bless this person. Show them their need of Christ today. Can I pray for you? Anybody, I don't have that settled. I don't know that for sure. I'm even in a strange place today, but I'm honest, as honest I can be. I don't have it settled. Anybody, can I help you today? You're a child of God today. 365 and a quarter days a year. Praise God. What a great group that's gathered today. I'm so happy to be a part of it, to experience it with you today. In your own life, evaluate your own heart because no one else no one else can do that except you and God. What do you do with Jesus year-round? And I'm not even saying do you go to church because that's good and you ought to be in church. I agree, but hold on. There's more to it than just going to church, isn't there? He's a person. He's a creator. He loves you. He has a purpose and a plan for you and He wants to commune and fellowship with you. What do you do with Him? I hope you celebrate His birth. I hope you celebrate His creation. I hope you celebrate Him as Savior every day of your life. And you do that by yielding and surrendering and submitting yourself daily to Him. Let's give ourselves to Christ today. Let's just say, Lord... You're going to be Savior every day of my life. I've invited you into my heart. I'm going to let you lead me 
guide me and reveal your plan and purpose for my life. Because, Lord, you were more than just a baby in that manger. You were Emmanuel, God with us. Father, bless this time of invitation. May the people of God open their hearts to you. And, Lord, if there be any that do not know for sure heaven's their home, may they settle that today. May you provide them, Father, the conviction, the opportunity. May you just bless them and help them today, we pray. For, Father, heaven is real. Hell is real. The Word of God is true. And, Lord, today, thank you for Jesus who died on Calvary for us. Lord, we're so grateful for that escape as we put our personal faith and trust in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet.